Good morning, Darby Creek Church, and uh, thanks for joining us for our live stream. I'm Pastor Greg Berlisle, and uh, it's good to have you with us this morning. Good morning. Welcome to Darby Creek Church Online. I'm going to open up with a couple verses from Psalm 5 this morning, just to get our hearts and our minds right before we come to the Lord and worship. And this is in the form of a prayer. It says this, Let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them sing joyful praises forever. Spread your protection over them, that all who love your name may be filled with joy. For you bless the godly. O Lord, you surround them with your shield of love. Man, that's God's word, and let's go to him ourselves in prayer. Lord God, we just thank you for all these things. God, we thank you that you're a refuge for us. God, we thank you that you shelter us in your love, and we thank you that we can trust you in these times. And God, pray that you would uh, just help hearts that are discouraged and help those who are sick. And Lord, most of all, help us to uh, just worship you and love you more today. Pray that you would encourage everyone here and everyone watching uh, just to draw closer to you. Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, let's sing. Greater love and freedom. 
This is David's charge to Solomon from First Chronicles. It's good advice for us as well. It says, worship and serve him, meaning the Lord, with your whole heart and a willing mind. For the Lord sees every heart and knows every plan and thought. If you seek him, you will find him. Amen. Let's worship the Lord with all of our hearts this morning. This is my desire
from Psalm 103, also in the form of a prayer this morning, prayer of praise, Psalm 103, 1 through 5, says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Amen. Let's sing.
Thanks, Charlie, and um, really appreciate you leading us to worship. And uh, it's good to just be reminded what all the blessings that we do have, in spite of you know the circumstances that are going on. We've always got things that we can we can be thinking about and and uh, have an attitude of gratitude for. So, okay, let's uh, go to the Lord prayer here and and ask for His blessing on our time in the Word. Heavenly Father, just thank you for the opportunity that we have, even though we're not together, Lord, and we do long to be back together. Um, we pray, Lord, that day would come soon where we can gather back together for worship safely. Um, and so, Lord, we we um, we commit this time to you in the word. And I pray, Lord, that you'd help me just to accurately convey the meaning of the passage and fill me with your Holy Spirit. And uh, also, Lord, to anyone who's listening, Lord, just give them, uh, open their ears, open their hearts to what you want to say to them. Lord, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, you know, we embarked on the um, journey of going through the book of Esther, and um, we're continuing that today. We're in chapter 2, the first 18 verses. And um, it's been, it's it's an interesting read. Um, in fact, I learned this week that, um, you know, uh, I don't think John Calvin uh, ever preached a message on this. And I think that Martin Luther even questioned whether it should be in the Bible or not. Um, for reasons you'll probably see today in this particular passage. Um, but I think nonetheless, it, it is the word of God and rightly should be there. So um, just... Uh, you know, follow along here with me in these verses, Esther 2, uh, verses 1 through 18. It says, After these things, when the anger of King Ashuerus had abated, he remembered Vashti, what she had done and what he had decreed against her. Then the king's young men who attended him said, Let beautiful young virgins be sought out for the king, and let the king appoint officers in all the provinces of his kingdom, to gather all the beautiful young virgins to the harem in Susa, the citadel, under custody of Hege, the king's eunuch, who is in charge of the women. Let their cosmetics be given them, and let the young woman who, young woman who pleases the king be queen instead of Vashti. This pleased the king, and he did so. Now there was a Jew in Susa, the citadel, whose, whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jer, son of Shimei, uh, son of Kish, a Benjamite, who had been carried away from Jerusalem among the captives, carried away with Jeconiah, king of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had carried away. And he was bringing up Hadassah, that is, Esther, the daughter of his uncle, for she had neither father nor mother. The young woman had a beautiful figure and was lovely to look at. And when her father and her mother died, Mordecai took her as his own daughter. So when the king's order and his edict were proclaimed, and when many young women were gathered in Susa, the citadel, in custody of Haggai, Esther was also taken into the king's palace and put in custody of Haggai, who had charge of the women. And the young woman pleased him and won his favor, and he quickly provided her with cosmetics and her portion of food, and with seven chosen young women from the king's palace, and advanced her and young women to the best place in the harem. Esther had not made known her people or kindred, for Mordecai had commanded her not to make it known. 
And every day Mordecai walked in front of the court of the harem to learn how Esther was and what was happening to her. Now when the turn came for each young woman to go into King Ashuerus after being 12 months under the regulations for the women, since this was the regular period of their beautifying, six months with oil of myrrh and six months with spices and ointments for women, when the young women went in to the king in this way, she was given whatever she desired to take with her from the harem to the king's palace. In the evening she would go in, and in the morning she would return to the second harem in custody of Shashgaz, the king's eunuch, who was in charge of the concubines. She would not go in to the king again unless the king delighted in her and she was summoned by name. And when the turn came for Esther, the daughter of Abihail, the uncle of Mordecai, who had taken her as his own daughter, to go into the king, she asked for nothing except what Haggai, the king's eunuch, who had charge of the women, advised. Now Esther was winning favor in the eyes of all who saw her. And when Esther was taken to King Ashuerus into the royal palace in the tenth month, which is the month of Tebeth, in the seventh year of his reign, the king loved Esther more than all the women, and she won grace and favor in his sight more than all the virgins, so that she set the royal crown, so that he set the royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. Then the king gave a great feast for all his officials and servants. It was Esther's feast. He also granted a remission of taxes to the provinces and gave gifts with royal generosity. Wow, that's interesting, isn't it? I mean, what a what a, an, a story that's unfolding here. And um, I'm entitling this message, the, the Squeeze is On, because I think really, you know, it's, it's really easy for us to kind of uh, do character studies and so on, which I think is, is, is good and is, is also fine. But I think we also need to keep in mind what's going on here in the bigger picture. And I think it's interesting to note that um, and I think she, it's the only person in this book of the Bible that mentions both their Hebrew name and their Persian name. Like, so it mentioned Hadassah is Esther's you know, Hebrew name, and she's going by Esther here. Uh, and so I just it kind of, think it just kind of shows that she's um, learning how to live out uh, her life in, in, in a world where her faith, you know, that she's grown up in, it is is um, not well received in the culture she's living in, and uh, so we see also even in the first two chapters. Um, think back to the first chapter: all these banquets, all this money that was spent, and the king parading all this uh, wealth and so on in front of everyone. Um, it's almost like uh, King Ashuerus is like the world. Uh, he's, you know, uh, everything that's valued is related to the size of your wallet or the size of your waist, uh, meaning like your appearance. And, uh, you know, of course, what, what did he wanted to do? He wanted to parade Queen Vashti in chapter one in front of everyone, you know, just because of her great beauty and, uh, and how good she looked and, and that, you know, she was his, so to speak. And so, uh, this is, this is just kind of a picture of the culture there, and I think it's—I um, think what's amazing is that our culture here is no different. Um, 
you know, materialism and appearances, uh, the outward appearance is really lifted up as a value. And, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of what you have, uh, whether it's materially or what you have in terms of uh, how you look. And uh, that's, you know, we see, uh, we see that in our culture. And so I, in that way, our culture is in, in one sense and no different from what was going on here uh, in Esther. So I wanted to take a look here at these verses that kind of dial us into the squeeze that we all feel um, here. It, um, I chose the Phillips version here on this. Um, it says uh, in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, With eyes wide open to the mercies of God, I beg you, my brothers, as an act of intelligent worship, to give him your bodies as a living sacrifice, consecrated to him and acceptable by him. And then it says, Do not let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold. But let God remold your minds from within so that you may prove in good practice that the plan of God for you is good, meets all his demands, and moves towards the goal of true maturity. And, of course, focusing in on, on that part of the verse, it says, Do not, don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold. And certainly I think anyone uh, that's a believer trying to follow Christ and, and be a, a biblical Christian, trying to live their lives according to the scriptures, uh, feels that squeeze, feels that, um, that pressure uh, from society uh, to be a certain way, uh, and it, which often clashes with our faith. And so I just think we need to acknowledge that. And we see the clash going on in Esther as well. But this is kind of uh, points out here some other verses about what God's view is. In 1 Samuel 16, 7, right, when, um, when God was going to anoint uh, a king, right, and um, they parade out all the sons of this one man, Right. And uh, then they look at this one whose name is Eliab. And, you know, he was a big guy, handsome, you know, handsome, so to speak, and, and just, you know, built. Uh, and um, everybody said, well, this this must be the guy that God's chosen. But the Lord said here, it says to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And so, you know, as that passage in Romans chapter 12 was reminding us, we need to have our minds remolded by the word of God and let him and his spirit um, help us to uh, align our lives with the values that God shows us in, in the truths of scripture and how God wants us to live our lives, which again is many times contrary to the culture. In this case, the verse in 1 Samuel 16, 7 is pointing out God's looking at the heart. He doesn't really care in, in you know how we uh, how what are our appearances and so on. Uh, he wants to know that he has our heart. And then regard to materialism, Luke 12 verse 15 says and he said to them, "Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions." It's not about the stuff. Um, have you know using stuff and having stuff is fine. Um, you know we we shouldn't judge people that have a lot of things. Uh, 
um, you know, it's just a matter of how are we using those things that we have and are we being good stewards of those things and using them to help others and, and serve God and so on. And it's just, just a reminder here of even though the culture is, is trying to squeeze us into its mold of materialism uh, as, as well as just to live by appearances, that God's saying that's not his way. He wants our heart. And so with this, uh, we are reminded that because since God is looking at the heart, that uh, we need to guard our heart and the things that influence our heart. Proverbs uh, 4.23 says, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. And that's just expressing a diligence and that realizing that you know from the heart come our actions. Uh, everything is coming from what's inside here. The, the, the words that we say, we know the Lord tells us in the New Testament, the words that we even say come from our heart. And so uh, they don't come from a vacuum, but from a heart. And so, so what we need to do then is to cultivate a heart for God, which, you know, one has to do with getting exposed to the word of God. Is God, you know, is God's word influencing you more than worldly wisdom? Well, and this just gets down to also, you know, are are you engaged regularly in the Bible? Are you getting in it? Are you studying it? Are you learning uh, how God wants you to live your life uh, in the culture that we're in? And the only way you're going to learn that is uh, is to learn what God's word says, um, and that's that's important. We need an you know, it's really a time factor. Um, if I spend, you know, a, a huge amount of time being influenced uh, by the world, uh, worldly wisdom, uh, which sometimes and many times, you know, I guess if I use the word in that way, is contrary the, to God's word. But uh, if we spend a lot of time exposing ourselves to that and not being accustomed to the word of God, then we're going to be more influenced by the world and typically would end up materialistic and would end up being concerned about how we look um, or how we're coming off looking at looking to others, whether we have it together or not. And then, you know, the other question is one of friendships, you know, are some of your closest friends, uh, closest confidence, wholehearted followers of Jesus. You need to have people like that in your life. Uh, people who are not afraid to tell you the truth, who are not afraid to lovingly confront, um, and, and that who also be there shoulder to shoulder with you, um, trying to have your mind remolded according to the word of God and not be pressed into the mold of the world. So so we, we need to see that God's um, desire for us is for our heart to be wholly his and and that our values would be his values, that we would take the truths of the word of God and make them a part of our lives and make those the overriding influence more than anything else. And that's critical. Now, um, one of the things that we learn from this passage here is to realize that the choices we make now impact our children and grandchildren. Um, the reason I'm saying this is because ask yourself, why are Esther and Mordecai in the city of Susa? 
Why are they not back in Jerusalem, right? Well, just a quick review, right? The previous generations had not followed God wholeheartedly. They compromised and allowed their culture to squeeze them into its mold. As a result, God allowed them to be conquered and exiled. He promised them he would, excuse me, one day gather them back, but not until they went through a period of discipline. And uh, that had happened. And that's why Esther and Mordecai, you know, were Jews, were were, um, part of God's people. And here they were displaced. Um, And so it came as a result of their parents or their parents' parents, right? They, They disobeyed God and they find themselves in this situation. And so I I just think it's important for us to remember that, you know, uh, if you're a parent, you know, the choices that you make in following God or not following God, obeying God in one area uh, versus not in another area, that can have repercussions, certainly have consequences. You know, sometimes we we don't, um, by God's grace, we don't experience consequences for our disobedience, but sometimes we do. And sometimes those consequences are then, um, um, they are affecting uh, the future generations, our children, our children's children. And um, I just think, you know, it's important for us. we, We just think it's about us so many times. But we need to think through and be aware and by God's grace have a, have a God awareness that the way I'm living my life now and the way you're living your life now has an impact on those around you for good and for bad. Um, and, and certainly, you know, God God can redeem mistakes and so on. Um, he does it all the time. But, um, but needless to say, there are still uh, consequences. So I think it's just a good lesson from this this passage here, just as we read and we see why are they in this situation, right? Um, why, why, uh, you know, why the, the beauty contest and everything, by the way, um, it's interesting that there seems to be a, a four year, um, four years have passed between the first chapter and the second chapter, because it mentions here, I think it was in verse 16 of chapter two, that this is like the seventh year of the reign and earlier in the, in the, um, Chapter one, it mentioned it was the third year of the reign. So there's been a four year gap. And um, um, some historians believe that that was when um, Asuarius went to uh, war to try to conquer uh, Greece and lost. And um, he was now back at the palace and kind of licking his wounds. And we kind of enter into chapter two at that time when he's kind of sad about what happened with Queen Vashti. And so then his advisors uh, come up with this plan to have this, um, for lack of a better word, kind of a beauty pageant. Um, uh, And so, uh, although it's much worse than that, um, because these women that they went and gathered up uh, would become a part of this harem uh, permanently and uh, in their custody. So, um, but I, I just think it's important that we realize that, you know, we have ramifications for our choices here at and we need, we need to be careful and weigh heavily in this. And the other thing I, I think we can take away from this passage is that God still uses us even though we make poor choices. You know, some, some things um, 
are negatively happening in our lives because of choices we made. Some things are happening in our lives because of choices other people made. Um, and by the way, just in my study of Esther, you know, it, it doesn't matter whether, uh, if you think in these categories, whether you're talking to a liberal theologian or a conservative theologian, most believe there was some compromise going on here with Mordecai and Esther. And we tend to put these guys on a pedestal and, and, and they are really kind of the heroes and the heroine of the, of the story. But yet, um, you know, the question is, why hadn't they gone back to Jerusalem? Why did they stay there? Uh, why did they want to keep silent about their faith and who they were and their heritage? Um, why did a good Jewish girl um, go sleep with the king and then marry him? He's an unbeliever. I mean, so there's just lots and lots of questions and, uh, about that that would lead uh, most people to believe that there was some form of compromise here that Mordecai and Esther were engaging in. Um, there's, we have no hint going into this that, uh, that Esther had any uh, visions going into this, like, I'm going to be in here, I'm going to be God's lady, and, and he's going to use me to save my people. We have no indication that she had any forethought. In fact, it's probably... I don't think it was even on her mind because when we get to chapter four and Mordecai says, how do you know you're not in this position for such a time as this? So I just think it's not even on her radar. Um, and so um, I do think there's good cause to say that, you know, there were some poor choices being made here. And um, now certainly uh, nobody's saying that it was right uh, to gather these women up and to, for the king to exert his power in this way and this abuse. Nobody's saying that that, that was right either. But um, I'm just trying to share with you why I would have the conviction, I think, that, th that there was compromise in the case of Esther and Mordecai here. Not being forthright about who they were and also, um, you know, uh, committing immorality with the king. And so, um, but, you know, when you think about Others, though, who were in similar situation, like Daniel, <clears throat> certainly Daniel had ex had been exiled as well. And this in the story of Daniel, there we learn that you know uh, they had gathered uh, some of these young men and were going to kind of try to um, um, I don't know, I guess make them more like uh, the culture that they were being brought into, the Babylonian culture, in the case of Daniel. And so they were going to be taught the Babylonian ways and all this stuff. But Daniel and his friends, uh, they drew a line. They said, you know, uh, okay, we're going to, we'll do this, but you know what? We're not going to change our dietary. Uh, we're going to stick with our dietary restrictions according to the word of God. We're going to live by these ways. And so um, they didn't back down. And so they still live within the culture, but they did not allow that culture to really make it into their, make them into its mold. They really, uh, from what we know, what we can read, Daniel stayed true to his faith there. I'm not saying that's easy, and I'm not saying I wouldn't have pulled Esther either uh, and Mordecai, where I would have, you know, uh, just, you know, kind of kept things on, on the DL and, and so on. But I think we can say that there was some form of compromise there. But I think the encouraging thing for me is that in the big picture here, uh, we see the grace of God. 
You know, in God's providence, he uses even our failures to advance his purposes. And that's encouraging to me because I've made a lot of mistakes in my life. And I'm sure, you know, if you're human, you have too. And, and those mistakes don't like take us out of the game with God. He can use those. He can even use those mistakes we've made uh, for his glory. And so um, I want you to be encouraged today that uh, if you made poor choices in the past, that, um, you know, when you come to Christ and you put your faith in him, he makes you a new, it says he makes you a new creation. And the old is past, the new has come. That's good news. That's wonderful news. My past hasn't, doesn't have to determine my path forward when it comes to knowing Christ and following him. And so, so just like, um, uh, as we see, as we go through the story here, we see um, Esther and Mordecai really step up, you know, even though I think that they did compromise here. But, you know, that's just like any one of us. And so I, I'm thankful, actually, uh, that that the that God puts these types of things in the Bible. You know, some people get really upset when they see stuff like this happening in the scriptures. They don't understand why God would include this. Almost like everything that happens in the Bible is supposed to be exemplary. And, uh, but, you know, question, does God save those who live morally exemplary lives? Is that the basis on which he saves them? Is that the basis on which he blesses them? Uh, that's a wholehearted no, okay? <laughs> no, he doesn't. Um, if you think that, if you think that God saves only those people that are uh, live morally exemplary lives, then you miss the whole message of the Bible. You see, God saves and gives his grace to those who don't deserve it. And, and as I think about even my own life, I don't fully appreciate even that grace he's given me after I received it. I mean, do you get it? Do you see? You know, it's, it's by God's grace that anyone is saved and he uses anybody because we all fall short of holiness and perfection. Now, the fact that God still uses us and forgives us if we're in Christ, if we put our faith in him, the fact that that, that happens doesn't mean that we don't pursue holiness and, and that, you know, it matters how we live our lives. You know, this is a fallacy that some people believe or a false way of thinking is that, oh, hey, if God's going to forgive me, you know, no matter what I do as a Christian, then I just do whatever I want, you know, and that's just, but if someone truly has the Holy Spirit in them, if they start living con a life that's contrary to the scriptures, um, the spirit himself is grieved and we become uh, what I call convicted. We feel badly about how we're living our lives. And I know for me, a period of life I went through where after becoming Christian, I wasn't really living for God. And he, his, his spirit was working heavy on my heart until I repented of that and turned back to him. And so, but, but don't, but don't uh, be like people who who uh, don't think this book of the Bible, you know, shouldn't be in here. Uh, I think it's it, it's truly we see the hand of God in it, and we see also just an example of people that God chose to use uh, and whom He saved that were, you know, they messed up. And so, thank the Lord that He's like that, because that means that um, we can receive His grace and mercy too. You know, so. Um, I, I hope that you're getting some time here uh, throughout the week to read through the book of Esther. 
I did mention last week that there is a devotional that um, that Moody, uh, which is a, a Christian college there in Chicago, if you're not familiar with it, they have a devotional they put, put out every month called Today in the Word. And I'll post the link back down in the description uh, here um, at by the end of the day, and you can check back here to the YouTube channel. Uh, we've sent it out to our church, but uh, some of you may not get those emails. And, and you can follow along just in a reading plan. And, and since that, that particular devotional was for the month of February, then you're just going to kind of follow along, find out where the devotional is in the book of Esther. So we, we're just finishing up chapter two. So you could find your way to wherever the devotional is at the end of chapter two uh, of Esther and just start reading along there. But because um, I think it's important for us to just not hear someone talk about and explain what's going on in the book of Esther or any other book of the Bible, we need to get in it ourselves. We need time to allow God to speak to us in the scriptures. And uh, if you're following along with us here on Sunday mornings, then why not let some of that be in the book of Esther? And so, um, um, but let's go to prayer here uh, as we enter time together. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you that you are a God who who cares about the heart and you're not concerned with appearances. In fact, if any one of us is struggling with how we look, Father, I just pray that you'd remind us that uh, in Psalm 139, it says we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Doesn't matter what our weight is. Doesn't matter what our waist uh, size is. Uh, it doesn't matter. Um, you know, it, it just doesn't to you. You look on the heart, Father, and I just pray you'd help each and every one of us to guard our heart, to protect it, uh, to to not let uh, there be negative influences there, but to allow your word uh, and your spirit uh, the primary access there and to be the one ones that we get our influence from and that affect our lives the most. Lord, help us to have uh, friendships with people uh, who are following the Lord, seriously following him, and that are not just casual cultural Christians, but who really love Jesus and want to live for him and so that we can have that positive influence. Lord, help us also uh, just to be aware of the world wanting us to put us into its mold, the pressures uh, in the culture to conform to ways that are not um, godly. Help us to resist that and um, uh, not in a holier-than-thou mentality, but in a, in a mentality want to please you, God, which we know you want us to have. And Father, thank you that you use uh, weak people. You use uh, people that are nobodies. I even just think about Esther and how she was an orphan and how here her uncle, who lo- or her cousin, actually, who loved her, uh, just brought her in as his own daughter, and somebody might say, "Well, you know what? what you know that's a terrible situation. How got you know how's God in that?" And then he, then you see how he's how how uh, God you, you you used her to save your people. And so, Father, um, thank you that uh, you redeem even our mistakes, um, even our failures. Doesn't take us out of the game of being used by you, and and you use weak vessels. Lord, um, help us, God, to to just uh, even even just be aware of that, Lord. If any of us are discouraged because 
we feel that we've uh, we've wandered off too far. Lord, let us let us know that no, we're not too far from the arm of the Lord. That you're, we, there's nowhere we can go from your Spirit. And uh, Lord, all we need to do is is turn back, and you're there waiting. Lord, we thank you all. Uh, thank you for all this in Jesus' name. Amen.